Our scripture reading comes to us again from 1 Peter in chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll read from verse 18 and into chapter 4 and up to verse 6. Our focus this morning will be on verses 21 and 22 of chapter 3. First Peter uh, chapter 3, beginning at verse 18. Peter comes after the book of Hebrews, James. Beginning at verse 18, then, for Christ also suffered once, for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. This is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness and lusts and drunkenness, revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries, in regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. And they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel is preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to, the men, to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. As far as the reading of Scripture, and our text is verses 21 and 22. I'll just read the first line of verse 21. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. So our theme this morning is the victory of Christ that's symbolized through baptism. Christ's victory symbolized in baptism. And then first we'll look at the encouraging sign of baptism. Because why is Peter referring to baptism here? Well, he gives the persecuted church here a third encouragement. We've been looking at these previous verses. Verse 18, we saw how he explained that Christ's work through his one sacrifice for sin was completed. And then in verse 19, he showed us that this was now being proclaimed through the gospel. Christ's victory was proclaimed through the preaching of the word. And now here in verse 20 or 21, we're directed to the sign of baptism. And that is because the waters of baptism declare the same truth that is proclaimed through the gospel but now through a visible display. 
a visible demonstration of what Christ does for his people. And so a water baptism is given by Christ to his church to encourage and to comfort his people. And that's what our Lord's Day also says. Lord's Day, Heidelberg Catechism in question 65, it says, Faith comes from the Holy Spirit who works that faith in our hearts through the preaching of the gospel and who confirms it in the use of the means of the sacraments. And we'll hear more about that this evening. And I highly encourage you all to come. So there's, Peter gives this as an encouragement to the persecuted uh, believers. But then secondly, we see the powerful symbolism of baptism. There's an antitype, he says, which now saves us, baptism. Peter here, he's comparing baptism with the water in the days of Noah that flooded the entire world. And so he says there's a resemblance between that flood and what happened in baptism. And so baptism really pictures a difference between life and death. Because just as the waters flooded the earth, it cleansed the earth of all the wickedness that, that God alluded to, the waters of baptism symbolizes the cleansing from sin through the blood of Christ and by faith in Christ. And so just as Noah was separated from the wicked world by that water, by that flood, now so believers also are separated from the world through faith in Christ, which baptism signifies. And as Noah was lifted above the flood in the ark to safety, it's a picture of salvation in Christ, that the same power of God that destroyed all the rebellious sinners in that world with the power of that water, it was the same power that saved believing Noah and his family in the ark. And so when the whole world perished, Noah and his family were spared. So we see the picture of contrasting life and death, life in Christ, death in Adam. For, and that life for Noah was only possible by being separated from this world. And that's considered dying to this world. So that now there is no spiritual life and no salvation possible unless we are also separated from this world spiritually through Christ. Romans 6 says, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so the comparison that is given to us here teaches us that we must be buried together with Christ by faith, so that we are dead to this world, dead to sin, and to our old flesh, so that we may live to Christ. And that means by your confession and by your baptism, Tim and Rochelle, along with everyone here, is we are called to walk in this newness of life to Christ, dead to sin, made alive in Christ. This must be the confession of our life day to day. Symbolism, but then the meaning of baptism. The meaning of baptism, thirdly. And Peter 
He, he first clarifies to us what baptism does not mean. And he says, because he says, which now saves us. Baptism which now saves us. And that's present tense, but is Peter saying that the act of baptism, as we gave it this morning, is that what saves the person? And he says, no. And he clarifies that immediately. He said, not the removal of the filth of the flesh. The act of baptism is not what saves us. And the most the water can do ever is just wash away the dirt that's on the outside of our body. Physical water cannot wash away our spiritual sin. And so the Scriptures clearly teach that we can only be saved through the atoning work of Christ's death on the cross. But Peter adds this explanation because he knows that many people can be added to the church through baptism, either as an infant or as an adult. But baptism itself is not what saves. Baptism is no guarantee that you are saved. And this was seen in the case of Simon the sorcerer in Acts 8, where he believed, he heard the preaching of Peter, he was baptized, but later he wanted to buy the Holy Spirit with money. There was no true faith in Christ. And so Peter is anticipating any objections uh, that the people might have and that they might rely on just the outward sacrament of baptism. And so he clarifies that it's not enough for salvation because today that error exists as well. It's called a presumptive regeneration where they believe that upon the baptism is when they are regenerated or born again. Or others believe that when they receive the waters of baptism, that's when their sins are washed away. And it makes people wait to the end of their life, end of their life to receive baptism because they want to be as clean as possible. Or in Bolivia, there was this woman who came running to the pastor's house late at night, knocked on his door and said, can you come baptize my child? It's dying. And of course, he refused because baptism is not what will save the child. So we must not rest in the external signs of the water of baptism or in church membership for our salvation, but it all points us to our need for faith in Christ, to have the same faith in God that Noah had, believing Noah entered the ark. But then Peter clarifies what baptism does mean. He says, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. And the word answer there really means a pledge. So he, Peter's calling our attention to the answer or pledge of our own conscience. See, the sign of baptism points us to what is necessary in our own heart. It symbolizes the washing away of our sin by faith through the blood of Christ. And just like the flood of Noah washed away all the wicked people of the world, and just like water washes our body from the filth of the, the dirt, the blood of Christ so also washes away the sin of His people. And so God gives us this picture to help us understand what He does in the hearts of His people. And so when Christ died on the cross, He shed His blood. His blood flowed down. But what it means is when you lose your blood, you die. When, when the Old Testament speaks of shedding blood, it means to kill, because when you lose your blood, you die. 
And so Christ died on the cross by shedding His blood, and He died to pay the death penalty for sin. And now God forgives sin because Christ's blood was shed on the cross for that sin. And to forgive someone their sin means to, to wash away their sins and their guilt. Our catechism explains it in this way. It says in question 70, to be washed with the blood and Spirit of Christ means to receive of God the remission of sins freely for the sake of Christ's blood which He shed for us by His sacrifice upon the cross and also to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that we may more and more die to sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. And so that's the picture that God is giving us, a physical picture to represent a spiritual reality. But now, as it is true for water, we have to physically come into contact with the water to wash the dirt off our bodies. Sometimes our children can go through the bath so fast they come out half as dirty as they went in. And so we must come into contact with water to be washed. But spiritually, you must come into contact with the blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit must apply the blood of Christ. That means the work of Christ to our hearts through faith. And that is when the action of the washing away of sin, of the forgiving of sin, of the taking away of sin happens. It's at the moment of regeneration when by faith you believe in Christ in His sacrifice. Because if we do not have true faith, then we have not been washed, then we have not come into contact with the blood of Christ, and then our sins are not washed away, and then we still stand for our own account before God. And so the answer of a good conscience toward God that Peter is saying here is the result of faith in Christ where your sins are forgiven so that you can stand before the judgment seat of God justified in His sight through the Lord Jesus Christ. The answer, the pledge, it also includes that response, that, that act of faith, that life of faith that is there. As Romans 6 says, if you're baptized into His death, that means you're raised to a new spiritual life and you walk in a new life before God. The pledge, there is a living faith, there is a living response in your heart to God. And it's by the being crucified with Christ, died to sin, no longer under the dominion of sin. And so as adults who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive that mark of baptism as the sign of God's promise, saying that as you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, as surely as water washes away the filth of the body, so Christ's blood will wash away our sins at the moment we believed on Him. And that's your confession as adults when you come for that baptism, for that sign and then your response is also that we live that new and holy life in obedience to the covenant obligations before God. But also for children, if you've been baptized as an infant and your parents teach you the demands and the promises of the covenant of God, that same promise is shown to you 
that as certainly as we can wash our body with water to clean us, so certainly the blood of Christ will wash away all your sins when you believe in Him. And so children, you also have been baptized, many of you, to have the promise of God sealed to you, to show you the certainty that God forgives the sins of all those who trust in Him, all those who believe on Him. And then He also demands the same response, the same pledge from your heart, children, that you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you must serve God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, all the days of your life. And so it's your conscience before God that gives an answer if you truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or not. It's in your conscience that you will know if you can stand before God, if His work has been sealed to your heart. And I know in the early days of your faith, you may come with trembling and yet believe in His Word, but you know that you trust in His Word and you wait for His seal, His promise, His, His is applying work of His Holy Spirit, and yet you can rest there on those promises because God is certain. And it says in Mark 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. But then further, in our fourth thought, we see the power displayed in baptism, the power first through Christ's resurrection, It says, at the end of verse 21, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism points us to the power of Christ to forgive your sins. Jesus Himself, He said, that you may know that I have the authority, the power to forgive your sins. He said to the paralytic man, stand up and walk. He demonstrated the physical healing to represent that He can forgive forgive sins. And so now here Peter refers to the resurrection again, alluding back to verse 18 where he said that Christ was made alive by the Spirit, resurrected, because by raising Christ from the dead, God demonstrated and affirmed that the work on the cross was complete. And in Acts 2, verse 32, God raised Him from the dead, declaring that He is both Lord and Christ. He is the Messiah who came to save sinners. And the sign of baptism would mean absolutely nothing if Christ did not have the power to forgive sin. Then we'd be fooling ourselves. But it's because Christ declares His victory over death through His resurrection that means that sin has been paid for, that sin is taken away, And that saving work can be applied to everyone who believes. And so baptism is the certification of the power of God to forgive your sin and to wash it away once and for all forever. And baptism says that just as certain as water has the power to wash the dirt from our body when it's poured on us, so the blood of Christ can wash away your sins by the power of His Holy Spirit and through faith in Christ. And now that baptism is given to us for the benefit, for your comfort, to direct your thoughts to the death, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the foundation of your salvation, 
of all our hope that He is the one that saves us so that you can be assured that uh, uh, when you trust in Him, your sins are forgiven for the sake of Christ. He has the power. He calls us to come. He is the one who applies it with His Holy Spirit. And so, congregation and Tim and Rochelle, we know how strong sin is. And there's moments in our life where we are brought to realize how strong our sin really is when it seems so impossible to deliver ourselves from it. And we wonder if we ever will be. But the power comes from Jesus Christ through His Holy Spirit. He died, He rose again, and by faith you are dead to sin, and you are made alive in Christ to be able to live a new life. And your victory over sin, over death, over hell, over the grave, is all through Christ by faith, by the power of His Holy Spirit that He gives to all His people. And His baptism reminds you where that power comes from. But then also, secondly, the power is displayed by Christ's ascension and session at the right hand of God. He says who, in verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to Him. Christ is ascended. And so Peter is pointing us further than this world to eternity, to heaven, beyond this present world by faith. And he points us to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has to save us regardless of the wickedness in this world or the wickedness in our own evil heart. Christ has supreme power over all. It says over, over good angels, over evil spirits, over angels and demons. He has authority over all powers and over all principalities, over spiritual darkness in high places, and we can say in spiritual darkness in low places, in the depths of our hearts. And so here in the context of the flood of Noah, or in the context of the persecuted church that Peter was preaching to, Christ has proclaimed his victory over all the spiritual forces that opposed him and his church. And that includes over our sin. Because that's what we battle with most. Our own sin. This includes our own enmity and sin in our own hearts. Christ conquers our sinful and rebellious hearts to turn us to him, to willingly draw us to himself, to give our life over to Him when before we resisted it with every ounce of our strength. And if Christ has turned us unto Him, what then shall we fear if He has supreme power over, this, over all the forces of this world? And as we see the waters of baptism again poured this morning, we're reminded of the absolute power of Christ who finished the work for His people, who does not leave a single work for us to do to merit that salvation. Because if we had to do anything of ourselves, we would be lost. But now He sits enthroned in heaven. He sends His Holy Spirit to apply His work to the hearts of His people. He is the one who regenerates, who renews, who sanctifies, who convicts us of our sin, who washes of our sin, who teaches us of Christ, and who applies all the benefits of Christ to His people. And now Christ also sits in heaven and intercedes for his people 
at the right hand of God, pleading your case before the Father, presenting His own finished work on your behalf as the justification of your salvation. That is why alone that we can be saved, because He removed the sin, He presents His righteousness, and He does that before the tribunal of God. So if you are in Christ by faith, then your name is written not just here or in the church on earth, not just on the membership list here, but then it is written in heaven. And then your sins are blotted out, and your robes are washed white and pure, and you're presented before the judgment seat of God in the perfect righteousness of Christ, adopted as children and heirs of God with Christ. And so as we come to the last applications, we can think of our confession of our baptism before God in these four ways. First, you made confession before God. And by your confession and baptism with Tim and Rochelle, you are submitting your life to Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who deserves every moment of our life, every ounce of strength of our life, because He's the only one who can deliver you from sin. He is the only one who can deliver you from persecution and from temptation and from spiritual backsliding that we're also prone to. He's the only one who can deliver you from death, that last enemy. He's the only one who can deliver you from God's judgment seat, from His judgment against your sin. He's the only one who can deliver you from, from hell as the eternal punishment that our sin deserves. And so what honor and what submission it must do we owe to Christ for His salvation. You've been baptized and into His name is what it means. Tim as an infant, Rochelle now here today, means you've been brought into that covenant of grace, that relationship with the Father, and you carry His name with you in this world. And you're obligated to pledge your life in Christ to Him, your conscience-bearing witness before God. And by baptism, you are continually directed to the unspeakable comfort in Christ. But then secondly, you make confession of your faith in the witness of the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're called to live with a good confession. And we do that first in the body of Christ. When we're dead to sin and alive to Christ, it is jointly with His body and by baptism into the name of Christ, you're incorporated into this body of the visible representation of Christ on earth, His church. Members of His body. And just like any physical body, every member is important. Every member has a purpose. And if one member suffers, the whole body suffers. And you are called to be part of that body. And you're incorporated into that body. And so no part of the body can say they don't need me or I'm not needed of them. And so you belong and must live in unity with, with it for the well-being and for the building up of Christ's church. But then it applies to everyone here. Receive Tim and Rochelle into the fellowship as members of the body of Christ, the visible body. 
as members of one body working together for the building up of the church of Christ, for the glorifying of His name. Thirdly, you've made confession before the world. Not that the world is watching here, but they watch your lives. Peter's writing to the, in the context of the persecuted church. And you can be certain that you will face trials, temptations, persecution, and opposition. Because the world does oppose the church of Christ. And if you're faithful to Christ, you will be opposed. And the world will mock you like it did to Noah. It likely won't listen like it did to Noah. But baptism marks your separation from the world. Becoming a Christian is not being separated from the trials, not a deliverance from all the suffering in this world, but it calls us to come out from among them and to be separated to live to God. He says, come out from among them and be you separate, a holy people. <clears throat> but Christ's power is there by His Holy Spirit for every one of our needs. <clears throat> but the promise of Christ in Christ is of the ultimate deliverance that one day you'll be taken out of this world into eternal glory. It's like Noah was lifted up above the flood and delivered by faith in Christ. And that life begins now when you by faith have rested in Christ whenever that began in your life. And then fourthly, you've made a confession of faith before your own conscience. And you'll daily face the weakness of your own flesh, the temptations, the infirmities of your sinful flesh that we struggle with every day. We fight against a three-headed enemy, Satan, the world, and our own flesh. But your conscience reminds you of your vows to God and of your faith in Christ and of the promises of Christ to those who trust in Him. And by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone, you are dead to sin alive in Him to bring forth fruits of repentance and faith. And Christ says, Abide in me and I in you, and you shall bear much fruit. And so this applies to everyone here. In Christ, you bear much fruit. Without me, He says, you can do nothing. But as a dead branch, will be cut off. And therefore, let our faith and hope be in Christ, that everyone here may rest in the promises given to us, symbolized in baptism, preached to us in His Word, and solidified or made perfected by Christ on the cross. Amen. Let us pray.